Fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienna. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about people meandering themselves into an insurrection with my friend Vienna. Cool. We're going to talk like it's going to be a good kind of insurrection, right? Like, like it's going to be fun and good? No, this is the great meandering. <laughs> oh, okay. How are you, Vienna? <laughs> I'm all right. I made a I made a pot of uh, chamomile and lavender tea that I'm just gonna have next to me during this recording to like help me stay chill and alive during these this wonderful discussion we're gonna have. I'm sure. Well, it sounds better than my uh, diet root beer. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I'm I'm okay. I mean, uh, since I, I have a backlog of episodes still to edit, uh, we just uh, did a live stream with uh, Dirka Prout, uh, and that was fun. That should be available on YouTube as well, probably by the time this episode comes out. And Dirka Prout is running for the candidacy of London North Centre, which is our, well, my riding in London, Ontario. And uh, yeah, so it was it was a good uh, interview. She's also a Patreon supporter of the podcast, uh, just to throw it out there as well. Uh, all biases exposed. <laughs> Full disclosure, you know, all that fun stuff. All funding sources. But beyond that, like, uh, I- I'm delayed on editing partly because I-, I had a-, a scuffle with Adobe, which is the software that I use. And so I'm learning an all new software to uh, do the podcast. And uh, it's going well. I finally got it working, but I- I've got a bit of a backlog. So it is what it is. Life happens, but uh, hopefully we will catch up soon, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, this one, it, it might go long. It's hard to say, but uh, we'll, we'll get right into it. This is the Imperial Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on the Rebel from July 26th to July 30th. Two Rebel employees were arrested this week, including a bodyguard for Avi Yamini and also David Menzies again. What is this? Are you guys kidding me? Different continents of arrest. Yes. Well, because Avi Yamini's bodyguard is in Australia. Ezra claims David was just asking questions when he was charged with resisting arrest and assault. You know, he asked a lot of questions of that cop. And just for asking those questions, the cop charged him additionally with resisting arrest. I'm serious, because he was talking and asking questions of the cop, disputing the claim against him. He was charged with resisting arrest. Obviously, that's not going to fly. The arrest was due to Menzies harassing Melissa Lantzman, who is a candidate for the Conservative Party of Canada for the riding of Thornhill. During the arrest, a staffer took a photo of David's notes on a clipboard, and Ezra thinks this was somehow because of Aaron O'Toole. That's incredible to me. That's like someone putting down their purse, and you know who put down the purse, and you saw it, and you know whose it is, and they're right there, but they're behind you, or you're behind them, so because they're tied up for a moment, you grab the purse and rifle through the purse and take photos of anything in the purse. (laughs) Sorry, that's not legal. I think that might be theft. It's probably a privacy violation, too. And I think you could say it's actually obstructing a police investigation. That and all other personal items on David were in the custody of police during the arrest. 
By the way, I think the O'Toole campaign still has David's notebook. Uh, like as if Aaron O'Toole is like pulling the strings for random people who attended uh, one of his candidates' events. David also had water thrown in his face, and Ezra wonders if it was actually water, and references a time when Lauren Southern had urine thrown on her back in Vancouver. Although he didn't name her, he was just reflecting on a reporter that they once hired who had urine thrown on them, but we all know it's Lauren Southern. We think that's water. In the UK, they throw acid at people, and I remember about five years ago, one of our reporters in Vancouver had someone throw a bottle of urine at her. I know that's super gross. That's how Antifa rolls. Ezra then brings up that they are accusing David of asking homophobic questions, and Ezra responds that it isn't homophobic to ask her a question about her sexuality, especially because she won't stop talking about it. But Lanceman went on the offensive in her late-night memo to switch the subject. This wasn't about David being arrested or David's notebook or David having water thrown at him. It was actually all about David being very homophobic because, you see, Melissa Lanceman is gay. You can see Lanceman says David was bigoted, and that's why everything went sideways yesterday. She doesn't quite say that's why they called the police on him, but I assume that's why. And we know Lanceman's gay because she won't stop talking about it. It's her central political identity. Which is itself a homophobic thing to say. Menzies did ask her some decent questions about her history of working with Walmart, especially during the lockdowns. So Melissa, I gotta ask you, how can you run to represent the writing of Thornhill when you were somewhat responsible for so many businesses going under and so many people losing their jobs as a paid lobbyist for Walmart? You made sure your client stayed open at the expense of other businesses and now you're running for the people? How do you square that? Well, I've actually been quite clear on uh, on that. Uh, we uh, The mandate for uh, for Walmart was entirely on vaccines, and that's all available information, and you can seek that information. But then asked if she was appointed, not elected, because she is gay. Uh, Landsman made her sexuality central to her campaign, and just as much so did Aaron O'Toole. He wanted her to be a living, breathing rebuttal to the claim from the CBC and the media party that the conservatives are anti-gay. Again and again, the conservative party said, Lanceman is proof that they're all past that. So David asked a simple question. Did you win on merit or on the basis of your sexual orientation? I mean, I think that would be a rude question any, to any other candidate who didn't talk about their sexuality all the time. But for Lanceman, it's like she's a vegan or on a gluten-free diet. It's all she talks about. So here's David's question about that. Were you chosen based on merit or based on sexual orientation? I think the nomination is David. over. We won the yeah. nomination. Ezra whines that if you have a BLM candidate, any criticism of them becomes racist. And if they're a woman candidate, any criticism of them becomes sexist. But the question itself implied she didn't earn her election because she was gay. That's why it's homophobic. The problem is not that she was gay and received criticism, but that she was criticized because she was gay, which is homophobic. That's just the standard playbook of the identity politics left. If you have a Black Lives Matter candidate, anyone who criticizes them is a racist. If you have a feminist candidate, anyone who criticizes them is a sexist. That's Catherine McKenna's fallback. When people criticize her, it must be sexism. And for Lanceman, questions about Walmart or questions about how she won the nomination, 
questions about if she's just simply an LGBT mascot. That's all called homophobia. And maybe if she shouts it enough, it'll drown out the concerns about arresting a reporter, assaulting him, and rifling through his notebook. And it's like, no, Ezra, only one of these is in fact homophobic. (laughs) Ezra wonders why they are always getting arrested and lands on the idea that the cops are too woke and are taking orders from the woke higher-ups. First, why are we always getting arrested? I mean, Saturday in Melbourne, Sunday in Thornhill, Ontario. Drea Humphrey was manhandled by Trudeau's security in Vancouver just a couple weeks ago. Just last week, Alexa Lavoie, our Montreal reporter, was also manhandled by Trudeau's security. We're not committing crimes. We're, we're doing accountability journalism. Um, in the past, that only irritated politicians, but who cares about them? Now, though, it seems to irritate police, and I don't know, either they're woke police, or the cops have become political themselves, or they're just taking orders from politicians. Ezra says the police presence at Adamson's Barbecue was the biggest since G20, yet anyone with eyes knows this isn't true. There have been more police present to remove homeless encampments than were there to arrest Adam Skelly. Ezra says, we like to be legally compliant, so it bothers me that we keep getting arrested. And he can't tell if it is the conduct of his employees or if police are just getting trigger happy. Um, We brief our people on the law all the time, whether it's the law of defamation or the law of trespass. We really like to be legally compliant. Um, So it, it bothers me that we're getting arrested, and I'm not sure if it's our conduct or if it's that police are getting more trigger happy and the law itself is getting more censorious, as is popular culture. Ezra then used that tired trope that first they came for Rebel News and we did nothing. I don't think it's just Rebel News that's bearing the brunt of it. We're the canary in the coal mine. We're the ones who are usually censored first because we're the toughest. But if Rebel News is censored today, you can bet you'll be censored tomorrow. However, (laughs) that poem only works if the people being come for are good people. Rebel employees being bigots and harassing people and then being arrested is not a slippery slope towards tyranny. Pastor Arthur Pawlowski is going back to jail, and Ezra claims it is because he refuses to apologize. The government of Alberta, which says the lockdowns are over, which has already punished Arthur Pawlowski, putting him in prison for three days along with his brother, they're going back to court to try and jail Arthur again for 21 more days. Not because he's breaking some lockdown law, that's, that's over. He broke the lockdown law for a grand total of one hour. But they want him to do 21 days in prison because he won't apologize. I know you think I'm making that up, but if you go to savearthur.com, you can read their 21-page legal brief that says because he hasn't apologized, he's in contempt, we need to put him in prison for 21 days to purge his contempt. You can see that document for yourself. This is not entirely accurate. He is being sent back to prison for not showing remorse after being in contempt of court. It is indicated in the legal brief provided by Rebel News that one way to show you are remorseful is to apologize. 
It is not that an apology is necessary to get out of prison, but that a refusal to apologize is a strong indication to the court of a deliberate lack of remorse while being in contempt of court, which suggests that Arthur would likely break the law again or encourage others to do the same. Ezra also claims that the court compared Arthur holding illegal gatherings to eco-terrorists blowing up pipelines. In this 21-page pleading, the prosecutor says, you know who else had illegal gatherings and had to go to prison? Eco-terrorists. And so they go on and on and on about this terrorist got that. And this eco-terrorist, by eco-terrorist, I mean uh, like a radical environmental protester that breaks into like a forestry or mm -hmm. a logging or, a, or an oil and gas or a pipeline facility, vandalizes, smashes things up, stops work, you know, kills jobs. They say that's an illegal gathering, and Arthur had an illegal gathering in his church, so he should get the same punishment as that illegal. They're, they're stretching the word illegal gathering so much mm -hmm. that it encompasses Arthur feeding the homeless, Arthur having a church, and eco-terrorists. I swear to God, you probably think I'm exaggerating. I promise you it is in the 21-page court pleading the court referenced eco-terrorists in order to cite precedent for contempt of court proceedings, not to suggest that bombings and gatherings are equivalent. Although you could argue that more people would die and are harmed from the social gatherings during a pandemic rather than uh, when a pipeline is bombed. The thing to take away is that the question was regarding the risk to society for letting people out of jail when there was a lack of remorse, and the court ruled they can continue to detain Arthur for being in contempt. Ezra wants to talk about Bill C-36 again, and it runs through all his false statements about Stephen Gilbo that we have covered ad nauseum. Ezra then suggests that the liberals pushed the bill through late so no one would be able to ask questions. Well, today was the day they did it. Like I say, waiting until Parliament was over, so there's no question period. And do you really think that the media party that eats out of his hands $600 million a year in bailouts, do you really think they're going to ask him tough questions? This is a silly thing to say, since the bill has only gone through first reading, and there will be plenty of time to say things if it goes through second and third reading. Ezra then starts to talk about the importance of free speech and claims that MLK succeeded because there existed freedom of speech. It's a very Orwellian, double-think uh, way of talking. Of course, freedom of the press helps the most marginalized. If you already have power and have money and are in a position of authority, you don't actually need free speech. You've got the stuff. But the more marginalized you are, the more you rely on free speech. Think about Martin Luther King when he took on the entire establishment in the civil rights movement in the 60s. He had nothing other than the power of speech. The suffragette movement, nothing but the power of speech. The movement to stop the slave trade. It did not have the power or the money. It had the free speech. But this also ignores the fact that King was arrested for his speech and had his privacy completely undermined by the feds. And that is the week. Vienna. Mm -hmm. Did you know that we live in an apartheid state? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah I mean, did you, know? you know, South Africa and apartheid was modeled after the reservation systems. You're right. That's what we're talking but about, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> This oh. is vaccine apartheid, goddammit. 
Oh yeah. Okay. So the fact that you know we we as a like wealthy Western nation have like had almost unrestricted access to vaccines since the beginning of their availability and are you know keeping them from being available to the rest of the world. That's what we're talking about for vaccine apartheid, right? Nope. We're talking about signs at an airport uh, for recent arrivals. <laughs> To either go in a vaccinated line or an unvaccinated line. I'm going to kill myself. Hello, my rebels. Today I talk about the short-lived apartheid. I don't know if I should use that word. That means apartness in Afrikaans. Two different lines, two different lanes. One for the vaxxed, one for the unvaxxed. That popped up in Canadian airports. I wonder if they'd have vaxxed and unvaxxed water fountains too, like they used to have in the segregated South. At first, like, he's framing this, and he doesn't even say that they're for international arrivals. And I, I like, I couldn't believe what he was saying this, because I'm like, of course we would screen this for international arrivals. We, like, countries have had, like, you need vaccines to arrive into their country. That has been an ongoing thing throughout history. Like, that, that's not a new thing with this uh, pandemic. <sighs> Ezra then claims that they took the signs down, and they might have because uh, the right wing was making noise about them, uh, and the airport claims they were inefficient. And then Ezra goes on this weird rant comparing uh, this vaccine segregation at the airport to uh, saying that like the security at airports don't work. 9-11 destroyed any idea of efficient, logical air travel. I have never heard of a terrorist ever being caught in Canada or the United States by the security theater at airports that we've had for more than 20 years. But I know a lot of people that have been groped and billions of hours of time have been wasted along with billions of dollars. I'm kind of in support of this. Are we, like, oh, you want like golden age of hijackings part two? Like we're bringing back the 60s and 70s, right? Like, hell yeah, <laughs> let's go. Well, there's some evidence that like that wouldn't even happen if uh, like some of the security measures go away. But the... The ironic thing is just last week, he was referring to the NCCM wanting to review and analyze current border policies. He saw that as like wanting terrorists to take over the country when the NCCM suggested it. And here he is suggesting it himself in this fucking episode. Thank God he's come around to the right opinion. The other, so then he goes from uh, this to say that these lines are not allowed, that there's something wrong with some this kind of like vaccine apartheid or segregation, as he's calling it, because you're not allowed to make medical conditions visible. And because of that, it then subjects people to public shame, which shouldn't be allowed as well. Think about it. You're not just treated differently, which is a problem in itself, but you're forced to physically stand in a public line that identifies your specific medical situation, your private information. You're not vaxxed, but you're, it's worse than that because you might be immune naturally, as in you got the COVID and you recovered. You might have a religious or other medical exemption to the vaccine, but you are forced to stand in a line of public shame because your government is punishing you with different treatment and the entire airport and any passerby can look you up and down to get a good look at you, you vaccine denier. It would be like if your doctor sent you a letter to your house with the results of a private medical exam, or I don't know, say a test if you have a sexually transmitted disease, but instead of putting that information inside the envelope, marked personal and confidential, they put that information on the outside of the envelope. Your STD test is in. 
That'd be crazy. This was a theme in the last episode as well, where he's connecting the idea to like having it known whether you're vaccinated or not is the equivalent to letting other people around you know that you have STDs. And I feel like he's he's hoping to like latch on to the idea that like, uh, you know, like almost like having a STD is such a, a thing to be shamed about and shameful. And so therefore, if people knew you had an STD like that, like that, you have to keep it secret because you don't want people to feel the shame of society like yelling at them or something. And my response to that is like, maybe we need to change our culture to realize that like some people get STDs. It's normal. There's treatments. Like, why are we freaking out about this? You know? Yeah. He just like wants an excuse to be like vaguely homophobic about AIDS probably. But also like, like, I think we talked about this last episode or maybe the episode before. I don't know. Where it's just like. Ezra, the means of spread are very different. Yeah. One of them, <laughs> you can spread just by being, by breathing the same air as an infected person. Yeah, they're going to treat them differently. What a shock. <laughs> There's the added fact of like, maybe you should disclose that you have a transmissible disease before you engage in sexual intercourse with a consensual partner. Yeah, no, like, I think you have a legal obligation to do that. That is something that is kind of well understood. And also, you know, you use some manner of protection so that you don't spread it to others. Like, whether that's, like, PrEP or a condom or whatever, you use something that stops the disease from spreading to another person. You know, kind of like a mask or a vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Like, it should be obvious, but it, again, I think part of it is banking on his conservative audience being, like, icky about sex stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's largely what's going on here. Or, as you said, the, the homophobia. Although, uh... He's going to get to it again, and we'll get to it in a second. I think there's racism inherent in it, too. Oh, yeah, of course. He then brings up a letter that was sent to people in British Columbia, and he suggests that the letter broadcasted medical information to people. So he never describes what the letter itself said, but when I looked into it, the envelope said on the front of it that we have reserved a vaccine for you. So the implication there is that it tells people that, uh, say, if... We live together, and uh, there's a letter directed towards you, and I pick up the letter, and on the front of the letter, it says we have a vaccine reserved for you. Then that would tell me that you haven't yet got your vaccine. And so Ezra's freaking out because this is somehow disclosing your medical history to the person you live with. (laughs) I got nothing. Like... Huh? Like, part of me, I'm just like, we have reserved a vaccine for you. Like, it could have been like, there could be an error in their system. Like, it doesn't necessarily tell you that the person has or hasn't gotten. Or it could tell you that this person wants to get vaccinated. Like, I, it's just weird that this is the thing he's going to complain about. Yeah, like, that's... Especially, like, when vaccines were more rare or, like, harder to get, or, you know, restricted to certain age groups and whatever, like, having it sent via mail would be really useful, 
because like you know some people don't have access to whatever like online news sites or whatever so this might have a you know more physical means for booking the vaccine as well like this is it's just like a it's a sensible public health measure ezra that was one day him talking about the vaccine and this whole vaccine passport thing that he keeps talking about so then we're on to the next day and he opens up with this I've been thinking a lot about vaccine passports. I think that's the next front line, and it's the most serious one. It's the most permanent one. It's the one that all the other measures have been softening us up for. They got us to wear masks. They got us to endure lockdowns, to agree who we could or couldn't talk to, meet even our own family members. I think that was softening us up for the digital lockdown, which is really what a vaccine passport is. Okay, so he's he's found his new thing for the lockdowns will never end. It's now vaccine passports will be forever, despite only being implemented in one province so far. There is a sense where this one has a bit, like this is one of those things where it could come true in a very benign form, but he would get to prove that he was correct all along kind of bullshit. Mm -hmm. Because like we do have vaccine policies today that mandate that people get vaccines before they go to school or other things, right? So yeah. this is just a way in which if we if we end up being in a situation where we have to get multiple COVID vaccines and they bar you access to certain public goods, he is going to be like, see, I told you, lockdowns forever. <laughs> Immunization records forever. And then we get to, we get a top 10 list. So he's been doing this top 10 thing lately and, or like five reasons or this is the 10 reasons for this and uh, we get a similar thing here which is that the camp gets all messed up so he, he makes a big thing of 10 problems with uh vaccine passports and he's gonna go through the list but uh, as you see as we go through this the counting is gonna get a bit fucked up solidarity with ezra in his struggle <laughs> against math <laughs> so number one Right out the gate. So this is where I was like, maybe a little bit of racism is coming in here. Vaccine passports have never been used before, never in history, for a public health crisis. Not even for AIDS, which has killed so many millions. Not even for Ebola, which is so much more viral and deadly. Do we even have a vaccine for Ebola or AIDS? Um, <laughs> I feel like they were making one for Ebola. AIDS has like some more recent work towards one and it has like you know prep and like prep plus or whatever where it's like it is a ongoing treatment type of thing that suppresses symptoms um and like makes it non-transmissible as well so you know there is very active treatments that you can be taking that kind of like make it negligible as like a disease that is affecting you i guess and ebola i think they also might have like figured something out but also yeah like i don't think that it's been trialed yet because it got a bit distracted by the ongoing other pandemic and i don't think that there are like big outbreaks of ebola right now so it's kind of like it's taking a back burner because there is a different active outbreak of disease I mean, the thing is, is like Ebola might be more deadly in terms of like it's a like people who get it are more likely to die than people who get COVID. But mm -hmm. Ebola doesn't spread as wide as COVID. So COVID ends up having a bigger death toll. 
in that sense, yeah. right? Uh, but still, Ebola is the one thing that they're like, well, COVID's not Ebola. And it's like, yeah, but it, it notice how it wasn't Ebola, but it still killed way more people? Also, remember when, like, there was that big Ebola scare, like, eight years ago or whatever? And any time that somebody with Ebola came to North America, they were actively quarantined super, super hardcore. And because of that, most likely, there was not any, like, outbreaks of it. You know what? There probably wouldn't have even been an outbreak if they didn't do the quarantine theater then. Uh, Like, I remember there was, like, the one woman who was a doctor who traveled back and she had it, but she was showing, showing no symptomology, I think. And they had her in a tent and like Fox news was like covering the tent, like 24 seven. Yeah. Like how dare Obama let this one human being into our country. Yeah. So, I mean like notice how things shifted when it was a Republican in charge when the virus came, you know? Yeah. And also like, you know, that is the appropriate response to have to a deadly pandemic is massive quarantines on anybody coming from an affected region and, you know, rapid testing and everything like that and being extra careful so that you don't have an outbreak and you don't have, hmm, I don't know, however many millions of deaths COVID has caused at this point. Like, I think we're just above 4 million worldwide, yeah. Yeah. The The other like talking point like Ezra doesn't get into this but it's been really annoying watching a lot of the right-wing media talk about like especially like Texans like Texas uh, conservatives talking about how uh, illegal immigrants are bringing uh, COVID over the border Uh, and it's like no America has a higher per capita rate of infection than Mexico does (laughs) if anything America or they would be coming into America and getting it from Americans rather than bringing it over. Yeah. So we that was just number one. But then Ezra goes off on a tangent, which is <laughs> weird. But uh, so we, it takes a while before we get to the next number. But he goes, uh, by the way, for vaccines right now, we do offer exemptions. That's not well known because it's not well advertised. But for example, I went on the Ontario uh, government's website and I found that you can exempt yourself for religious or other reasons, reasons of conscience from other vaccines and still send your kids to school. You have to sit through a propaganda video, but they will let you exempt yourself from existing tried, tested and true vaccines. So the idea that vaccines are now a mandatory requirement to live is novel. But we've mentioned that on our show since fucking day one. Which is that, because Ezra kept on being like, well, what do you do with people who, like, can't get a vaccine because they're allergic? Are they going to be forced out of venues and stuff like this? And it's like, no, we have exemptions. They do this in the school system, too. If you have an allergy and you can't get vaccinated, it doesn't mean that you can't go to school because you don't get vaccinated. They have an exemption for you. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know why this is so hard. But he finally just realized that this was possible. But now his argument is that, well, most people don't know about it. Just because you don't know something doesn't mean most people don't know it, Ezra. He also says the idea that mandatory vaccines are a requirement to live is novel. And then I'm like, but you just said that there's exemptions to mandatory vaccines. And so it's like, how do these exemptions exist if we don't have mandatory vaccines, if this is a new thing that we're only doing now? 
Like, <laughs> no, we've had mandatory vaccinations for a lot of things because we realized they are a requirement to live right now because people die if you don't vaccinate. <laughs> so then uh, he doubles down because remember, this is the next day. So he doubles down. Listen, we are now in a medical apartheid. But he goes even further and goes, I think it'll set about a health apartheid. That's the Afrikaans word for apartness, a health fascism where we treat the sick or not even the sick, the those who refuse to take an experimental drug as some sort of underclass that can be outlawed and abused. Oh, no, the overwhelmingly like middle and upper middle class white people that are annoying as hell are oppressed like they want to they want it so bad he also says we were not told about the side effects of the vaccines do you recall being told about the side effects i think they gave me a sheet of paper i don't know if they told me but there were like multiple sheets of paper yeah i received sheets of paper every single time i got my vaccines it was made quite known to me what the side effects were so uh that's a lie ezra (laughs) yeah and like with my sister because she's had a like anaphylactic reaction in the past and even though it wasn't to anything that was at all present in the in the vaccine out of an abundance of caution they made her wait like double the standard time to see if there was any sort of allergic reaction like amazingly healthcare people put measures in place to help those who might have a reaction because they care about the health of the people that they are helping like it's just uh. it's weird because uh, in he mentioned this about the anaphylaxis when going through the list of side effects because at this point he goes through the list of side effects again and i I just was like why bother uh, talking about this again this time but he did mention the allergic reaction and and he made it sound sinister and that's why they make you stay there for like the amount of time extra to make sure that you're safe as if he's like they're trying to like hide from the fact that this is deadly it could kill you And it's like, there's a reason why people aren't dropping dead from allergies to these vaccines, because they have EpiPens and other uh, medications to help people who have an allergic reaction to the vaccine. And that's why they get you to stay the extra time. Yeah. You know, (laughs) they're they're doing pretty good with making sure you're safe taking this vaccine. If you just happen to be one of the few people who has an allergic reaction to a vaccine. Yeah. And like they're doing it over like out of an explicit abundance of caution. Yeah, because if one person died this way, like Ezra would shit his pants and never stop talking about it. Yeah, exactly. I also kind of wonder if they've all been vaccinated or not. I wonder which of the rebel employees have had their vaccine. I mean, Menzi's getting pretty old. He should uh, should get vaccinated. I mean, isn't Ezra more than 50? Ezra's 50. I think he's like 50 on the nose, but uh, okay. Menzies, uh, he's got two replacement hips. He's got to be in his 60s, 70s, yeah. maybe. Oh, there's no way he's in his 70s with that much energy, like with the yeah. life he leads. <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> I do want to add, in terms of the side effects, though, uh, Ezra Snidely remarks that he's like, do you think in Toronto where they gave you free ice cream to children uh, that they were told about the side effects? Like, as if this is some sort of gotcha. 
It is, um, my guess is they still handed you that sheet of paper. Maybe they handed the sheet of paper to you with the ice cream, you know? As like a whoop whoop. They still probably did the whole like waiting period thing too. And amazingly, buses or whatever it was that they used in Toronto for the mass vaccination clinics or like the pop-up clinics, they can hold sheets of paper. What? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Mind blowing. Up- buses have upgraded to like sheet holding technology. Yeah, like it's not just people on them anymore. Sometimes there are other <laughs> things too. But would you know it? We did one. We went on a tangent, and now we're on number three. <laughs> of course. So he skipped two apparently, but we're on number three. Okay. My third reason is that the passports themselves violate your privacy. You have to tell the passport issuer and you have to show your passport your private medical history. Which again is a talking point he's been going on and on about. He then plays a clip of people saying they won't have their friends over for dinner unless they are vaccinated. Imagine saying you wouldn't even have a friend anymore if they weren't vaxxed. Well, hang on. So you're testing them for COVID-19, which for anyone under 70 has a tiny uh, uh, rate of death. But you're not, are you also going to quiz your friends about other communicable diseases? Especially if you're in your 20s and 30s, are you going to grill your friends about sexually transmitted diseases? Do they have uh, vaccines for herpes? Are are they on AIDS medication? Could you imagine grilling your friends about the most intimate details of their private life and making them carry some sort of passport? What a gross thing. If I were going to have sex with them, yeah. Yeah, like, that's, you know, (laughs) hey, are you up to date on your testing? Like, that is a question that people ask. You you go to a family dinner, tell me about your gonorrhea, father! (laughs) Like, like, I don't know what the fuck he's going on about. And know what, like, what do you mean grilling? And, like, wouldn't it be different if, like, I don't know, you grilled them about, like, their medical treatments? Right, like he makes like why would you grill them about the illness? Gotta barbecue them about everything. It's summer after all. <laughs> like it makes no fucking sense. So the issuing and the process of the passport is gross, but my fourth reason is that the use of them will be abusive too. For example, I showed you the other day the airport lines of shame where you're forced to stand. It's not just the vaccine passport on your phone. You now have to stand in a line for an hour and have people look at you. As examples of this, he he talks about the airport segregating will create lines of shame. Schools will segregate you. Maybe you'll even be segregated at the work office. Uh, And for an example of that, he criticizes Bonnie Henry, who's the BC uh, person in charge of their public health policy. And she says that there will be consequences for health workers who are not vaccinated. And that's all that Ezra says about it. But when I looked into it, the consequences are they will be removed from like public settings with other people within their office and have to do different types of work to accommodate them not getting vaccinated, which, you know, I guess that's a consequence. Ezra is then mad that kids who get exposed to the virus will have to stay home. So 
I mean, like, I guess the kids, if you're infected, you have to stay in school to infect more children or else the, the communists win. No, Ezra wants children to be removed from their home if they've been exposed to the virus. They have to go to the COVID camps. Or shall we say the COVID gulags? Sure. So number five, <laughs> number five is... Here's my fifth reason, and it's just the simplest. It's logic. If you're vaccinated, why do you care if I am? And we've been over that tons of times. Don't have to go over it here. Uh, just to say that uh, maybe we don't want the virus to proliferate, but also some of these new uh, variants also can infect people who have the vaccine. So anyways, that's why it matters. The sixth reason is that obviously this is government power over us. He doesn't expand on that one. Just know that the government will have power over us, and that's bad. That's why the vaccine passports are bad. We live in a society. <laughs> Next, he's going to start taking on the uh, traffic legislation. Traffic lights are tyranny. That's what we're getting here. Yep. My seventh objection is that the collateral uses of the information in this vaccine passport, we don't even know the way this will be gamed. Think of the commercial uses. Think of what happens if insurance companies will start making decisions or deciding to insure you or not. I distinctly remember having to pee into a cup in order to get my life insurance policy, which frankly, telling them that I got vaccinated is a little less invasive than having to piss into a cup for them, you know? Yeah. Now, frankly, I think we should just get rid of uh, this kind of insurance scheme altogether and have it be public and have it, uh, you know, maybe we don't have to piss into a cup to determine how much insurance we get, you know? Yeah, or like if we lived in a society where your needs were going to be met regardless of, you know, anything else, then we might not need insurance because... You know, if there were housing for all and my house floods, I can get new housing. Or if I am, you know, a single or a, you know, a stay-at-home parent and the spouse who does most of the working dies, if the society takes care of you, then you're going to be taken care of regardless. Like, it's just, I don't know, it's just so... Damn, we can't think of a better world. It's just like a slightly different version of this one. That's as high as we can dream. To me, like, it would be one thing if he had an overall criticism of the insurance industry, but it seems like his issue is telling the insurance companies you're vaccinated and not the fact that the insurance companies ask for personal information generally. And so it's yeah. like... Everything that he says is just, like, silly because it's not based in reality. Like, if you're against insurance companies having any personal information, come out against the insurance industries. But my guess is he's, like, a big business good, right? So he's not going to that make that point. He just wants to somehow convince his audience that isn't it bad if, if you tell the insurance company you got vaccinated? Why does the insurance company need to know? And it's like in the world in which the insurance company bases its premiums on like your health, they're going to want to know whether you're vaccinated or not. Yeah. I mean, it's been the same thing for all of this so far where it's like, you know, there are points of nuance to talk about regarding like public health policy and how it might impact the most like marginalized in society. 
like he he had a whole point of like use of the passports will be abusive and it's like yeah i can see some ways in which that might be true not to who he's talking about though they're gonna yes. be fine like 100 percent. yeah it, it's one of those like and you know this obviously doesn't exactly fit onto it because ezra is jewish but it's it's the same sort of line as the like anti-semitism is the socialism of fools where it's like oh yeah no like there are things to critique about existing society you're just doing it in a way that is actively harmful he also says that the the vaccine is experimental and that's the reason why it shouldn't be used by insurance companies but i'm just like I don't like I don't see how these two things connect. Like it being experimental, which it isn't. We've been over that before. But it being experimental should be a problem with it generally and not specifically because of insurance companies, you know. <laughs> yeah. So now we're on to number 8. The eighth reason I'd like to point to is the security and the spying and the hacking and the malware problems. So where will this information be stored? obviously on some computer system. Do you doubt that it'll be done a sloppy job? We see stories out of Quebec, for example, that their QR code, that's a little scannable code on your cell phone, reveals information that's not encrypted to anyone can see it. Do you really think that the morons running, you know, I mean, Patty Haidu and Justin Trudeau who are making it up as they go, do you really think they'll have your private health information secure from either Chinese spies or corporate spies or just some hackers for hire? So they're going to, China's going to know that I got Pfizer? Like, (laughs) (laughs) what are they going to do with that? Got it. China's got you. Yeah, China's got got you. I just they admitted know. You know what? <laughs> Every country in the world just got me because I admitted it. Like <laughs> I got double pfizer I just I I I like what the fuck, Ezra? Why? Why? Uh, I I love it because he keeps on bringing this one up. The, I mean the way he worded it this time was really let's be real here. That was pretty stupid. But the way he characterizes this most of the time is that like how dare you give personal information to the government? They're not good at keeping it. And I'm like, how are they any better than like normal companies that we give like our credit card information to or other information to, you know? Or even like our employees, we give them our social insurance number. Like the fact is like we live in a world that is, uh, can be hacked, can have malware problems, we can't get spied on. That exists. And the thing is, our government has all of our information because they're the government. Yeah. <laughs> they have your driver's license, your birth <laughs> certificate, like like your SIN number. They already have the vaccine info because you, like, you gave some sort of identification or, yeah, like, on your medical record when you got the vaccine. And it's like, do you... The other part of it is like, do you think that our government run health bureaucracy that they're somehow immune to hacking of our health information i'd like to think that they're robust enough that it's not going to happen so that like like people's medical information is not leaked everywhere but it exists somewhere you know and if it exists somewhere it can be hacked and it's the government that's doing it because it's (laughs) it's the government bureaucracy It's just amazing. It's like, what do you, what, what does he think is going on? And why, like, 
His idea of hacking and spying is just so weird. I, my ninth point is that of a larger social credit system. And by that, I mean what they're doing in China. And we don't have to get into that. Uh, and it's also, we're not getting points scored for this. So I don't know what he's talking about. But apparently, it's gonna, it, we're going to become China because the vaccine passports will be a social credit system. My tenth reason is simply discrimination including against social class and race and religion and any conscientious objectors. It's a fact that different classes in society, different kinds of people choose to get vaccinated and others don't. You know, we talked before about the Tuskegee Air, uh, not the Tuskegee Airmen, sorry, the Tuskegee Experiment, where black Americans were tricked by the government to, to be part of an experiment where they were positively injected with syphilis and studied over decades, they were lied to. And I don't see, like, I feel like because he used the word discrimination, he was like, how can I make this about black people? Because otherwise I don't understand what, like, what's happening. <laughs> I guess maybe his argument is, is that like the American government manipulated black people into a study about syphilis just like we're somehow being manipulated into a study about vaccines. But then what does that have to do with discrimination? I guess, like, it's just a weird analogy that doesn't quite compute to me. And again, it seems like he's mainly just wanting to be like, see, the government did evil things to you before, so you should be afraid. I don't know. I don't know how to express, like, what this is. It's just, why... Because we needed a top 10 list, and that's why we get number 11. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's the thing is, I feel like number 11 comes in because he skipped number two, but he's not aware that he skipped number two. And so he's just, he kind of goes, number 11. He goes, ah, I guess we're doing number 11. <laughs> so he had his top 10 list all figured out, but he didn't label them in a numbered fashion so that when he read them out he would know what number he was on uh, maybe he just had them as points <laughs> and was like yeah i can keep track of 10 numbers come on and i guess my last point i'll call this point 11 is that the vaccine passport ignores natural immunity which you get if you have the disease normally we know now based on studies that the vaccines are way more robust than natural immunity so ezra's just plain wrong about this so then he, he ends the segment by hyping up that this won't be temporary. but And he's saying that he wants to get like the best case that he could take to court, right? That's what he said a couple weeks ago, I think, and we talked about it. And so I wanted to do a follow-up. And what he means by the best case, I should clarify. He wants the best case to take to court to prove that vaccine passports are bad and unconstitutional. But of course, we don't have any vaccine passport policies yet, so he has nothing to bring to court. But he, he's waiting for that best case. He's waiting for it. I wanted to. He also told people to sign his petition. So I wanted to follow up because he mentioned the petition last time, and he said that he wanted 200,000 signatures. And he, uh, to say that we should have no vaccine passports. And he was like, oh, he wants it to be his biggest petition. They're going to make a huge amount of noise about it. And I went to the site and there's 28,000 signatures. So that's, that's they're way off. <laughs> and given that most of the YouTube views hang around this number, I don't think they're going to get much more than this. Sad. <laughs> Poor Ezra is just not getting the engagement that he needs. 
Ezra compares an Australian cop telling people not to flaunt health mandates to a Nazi. Just calls him straight up. He's like, this is a Nazi. And it was the most calm delivery. It was just like, please social distance. Don't breathe on each other, please. Like, <laughs> So calm, but Nazi. And then later in the in this same same segment he calls the cop communist and he says they're communists and then i think for the first time in the whole time that we've been covering Ezra he realizes that this is a contradiction and this has never happened before so he he realized that and he goes the guy really is a communist isn't he i'm using words like nazi and communist a lot i i don't often say that literally, but I think Nazis and communists are similar creatures. They're authoritarian bullies who do not believe in civil liberties or dissent. I, I, I think that's what we're seeing here. The thing that really annoys me about this is the use of his word literally. So he said when he calls people Nazis, he doesn't mean it literally. He's sued several people who have called him a Nazi. But like, could they just say, well, we didn't mean it literally. You're just being an authoritarian bully. No, because then he would sue them for calling him authoritarian. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> um, I'm not in the government, so I couldn't possibly be authoritarian. So uh, that's libel. So now we're going to get to the final segment, and it's going to be a bit long. I said this one's going to go a little over time, and and this this is why. But like, I felt like I don't know the the vaccine denial has really just ramped right up, and so I feel like I have to just go into a bit of details with that stuff as. As an attempt to hopefully, like, convince people that, like, this this is, if you know any anti-vaxxers in your life, this is where they're getting their information. This is, this is the shit that they're buying into. And so it's worth going over that. But now we're going to get into uh, the weird shit that happened in America that Ezra wants to talk about. And this is the, I guess, the January 6th uh, commission. So for those who have been out of the loop, the Democrats finally decided to take matters into their own hand and form the January 6th commission to investigate what happened on January 6th. Remember, this was when there was a slate of electors that were supposed to come in and announce who won the election and a bunch of Confederate flag-waving, Holocaust-denying shirt-wearing militia members and other just rabble-rousers broke into the Capitol building and sort of waited around dumbfounded, hoping that I guess the military was going to rise up with them and retake the American government or whatever whatever they thought was going to happen. And so it just sort of petered out and Biden is now president, right? We are, I will say we are finding out now that the efforts to try to convince the military to side with them were a lot more like, like, People were trying to make it happen, which is the other part of this is you have a lot of people saying, oh, this was nothing. What? We're making a big hay over nothing. Why are we worrying? And it's like, I don't know. I can imagine an alternative world that's not too different from our own, where maybe one of the few military leaders of the American country just decided, no, I'll side with these insurrectionists. And then we have a very different story to tell about January 6th, you know? Yeah, we'd have an overt American military dictatorship. (laughs) Over the Imperial core instead of a covert one and an explicit one everywhere else. So 
the reason why Ezra wants to talk about this is because they had the first hearing uh, of the commission. And one of the things that happened during it was they had a few of the police officers who were uh, physically assaulted during what I would describe as the January 6th insurrection. And some of them were emotional because like, regardless of how we feel about cops on the show, uh, being one of them was terror or tasered several times to the point where they had a heart attack. A uh, few of them had their eyes gouged out and were like bludgeoned, uh, had bear mace spread in their eyes. So like, yes, these people experienced trauma regardless of how we feel about cops generally. But then, so they're on stand re retelling their trauma and some of them cried as you would. Mm -hmm. And Ezra makes fun of, not only does he make fun of the police officers who cried, but he makes fun of, there was one of, one of the few Republicans that decided to uh, be a part of the commission because a lot of them just were like, we refuse to participate. One of them that did cried in being like if you weren't there things could have happened to me which is like the other thing that i don't think that the right or like people on the right appreciate like especially in how they talk to people like alexandria ocasio cortez which is this idea that somehow her describing suffering trauma from this is like oh she's being dramatic when it's like i don't know there was mobs coming to kill them that would yeah. cause some trauma even if it like didn't reach the point of you dying, you know? I don't know. I, I think I would have trauma if that happened to me. I mean, yeah, hiding in fear of a lynch mob is traumatizing. Like, yeah, like it just, I don't know. It's a silly thing to pretend otherwise. So yes, but th they have to play up their macho-ness. So they got to make fun of the, the police officers and the Republican who are crying. And then... Ezra says that the one police, so one police officer died during the day. I think several officers since have committed suicide, uh, including a few recently. But the other deaths on January 6th were like supporters of the president uh, who died in various capacities. One of them got trampled. Another was shot uh, as they were trying to enter the Capitol building. So, but only one police officer died. At the time we were told that another police officer was killed by rioters. His name was Officer Brian Sicknick. That certainly was the media narrative, but the coroner's office released an official report that he in fact did not die at the event. He later died of natural causes. Now this is the thing that frustrates me about all the time Every single time there's a death that right-wingers don't want to attribute to the thing, they can play loose uh, with the facts here, which is that, yes, this police officer did not die of being bludgeoned with a flagpole, for example, but was likely the result of being bludgeoned with a flagpole. You know? Just like in the case of George Floyd, which Ezra tried to deny on his show as well, George Floyd did not die of a knee on the neck. They died of something else that was caused by having a knee on their neck. And just like when they do this in terms of like COVID cases, a lot of people don't die of COVID. They die of having like, say, something obstruct their lungs due to the fact that they have COVID. <sighs> 
Ezra then, and remember, this is pro-police Ezra, who who wants to be on the side of the police, doesn't understand why they keep getting arrested. So now Ezra wants to mock one of the police officers, and he he calls him an emotional man. Here's a Democrat activist named Harry Dunn, famous on Twitter for denouncing Trump and supporting rioters on the left, breaking down in tears for what happened on January 6th. Take a look at him. I decided to stand my ground there to prevent any rioters from heading down the stairs to the Lower West Terrace entrance, because that's where officers were getting decontamination aid and were, and were particularly vulnerable. At the top of the stairs, I confronted a group of insurrectionists, warning them do not go back, go down those steps. One of them shouted, keep moving, patriots. Another displayed what looked like a law enforcement badge and told me, we're doing this for you. One of the invaders approached me like he was going to try to get past me and head down the stairs. I hit him, knocking him down. After getting relieved by other officers in the crypt, I took off running upstairs towards the speaker's lobby and helped a plainclothes officer who was getting hassled by insurrectionists. Some of them were dressed like members of- He's an emotional man and you know it. Now he doesn't play this on a show. I happened to watch the hearing. The man that he calls an emotional man is a black police officer who was repeatedly called the N-word by the crowd. And it is one of the, I recommend everyone I, like to watch this clip of how, how this crowd treated him as a black person, as a black officer, is disgusting. And just a testament to the crowd that existed there. But Ezra wants to dismiss the fact that he was like treated terribly and racist the crowd was racist towards him and Ezra wants to sort of like discard him as oh he's an emotional man it almost reminds me as well there was a clip that came out of one of the people who was there and witnessed the murder of George Floyd and during cross-examination they tried to characterize this man as being like too emotional. Like he let his emotions get the best of him when he started threatening the other police officers for the fact that they were killing George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And it's their way, I think, of trying to dismiss black people who have legitimate grievances by playing up the fact that uh, black people are just emotional characters, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's, it's one of the things that they use to like attribute violence to black men and like... I guess to a lesser extent black women as well but like particularly black men where it's like you know they play up the like oh they're super emotional and they're super you know quick to anger and like strong and powerful and whatever like other kind of bullshit they feel like adding that day but yeah like it's very much a just like racist attack that is used to like legitimate legitimize violence against black people like is the whole like they brought it upon themselves in some manner then we get to the weirdest uh claim of them all <laughs> and it goes further later but uh ezra ponders out loud what exactly happened on that day was it a riot or was it more of a meandering by protesters who broke into a building and didn't know much what to do it's just like the impression he's trying to convey here. And it's like throughout the whole thing is that these people like accidentally broke in because they were just meandering. <laughs> just, where am I? 
they didn't know what city they were in. They didn't know what that building was. They were just <laughs> just hanging around. Yeah. No, they have absolutely no agency. They're just a meandering mob that doesn't know what it's doing. They just also happen to show up with tactical gear and smashed in windows, you know. It's like, you know, a, a horde of zombies in a zombie movie where it's like, oh... You know, you trick them and think they're chasing something and they fall off a cliff or whatever. Or, you know, <laughs> lemmings where it's like, you know, it's it's a myth. But like, oh, lemmings, you know, they just follow one another. And then if one of them goes off a cliff, they all go off a cliff because they're just like hanging out. And it's just like, no, that's not that's not how fucking anything in this world works. I mean, I will have to say, like, we can be nuanced about the crowds, right? Like, I don't think everyone who was there that day was planning things and knew what they wanted to do when they got there. But there was definitely those who came prepared and were planned to do things. I think there was other people who broke in and thought they were just doing some sort of, like, civic duty and were, like, waving American flags and weren't really thinking too hard about it, where there was other people who came with zip ties, tasers, bear mace, and other tools to get the job done, you know? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, we, we can treat these two people different, but to, like, refer to the entire crowd as it was stoked by a mob and led by the president of the United States saying, go to the Capitol, it wasn't just meandering. <laughs> well, know? it's also just, like, regardless, they were all there for a protest. Like, even if they didn't know what was going to come next, they were there for a protest and they were at the Capitol building. They knew that much, you know? Were they, did they know that much? Maybe they meandered right to the Capitol. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest. They meandered airplanes. <laughs> I don't know what the Capitol building of the U.S. looks like. And I do think that I tend to know a little bit more than the average American conservative. <laughs> so, fair point. So now, now, like, so they were meandering. They're a meandering mob. And then Ezra wants to conspiracize about it, right? So... The me what happened how did the meandering mob because they were just meandering how did they get so far and so ezra wonders if the crowd was actually set up by the police were police on guard or did they stand down to make the event a media shock and awe i'm not quite sure i'm not sure if this inquiry will let us know such that the cops stepped down and they let the protesters in there's some of that footage now, we don't understand the context of all of that footage, but there's some footage that clearly shows that the cops are a little bit more sympathetic in certain cases. And just as it's like we should point out that it's not good that some of these police officers were assaulted by a violent white supremacist mob. It's also worth noting that some of the police officers seem to let them in. And whether that was done for tactical reasons because they were being overwhelmed or if it was done because they actually were sympathetic to the protesters should be something we should investigate. I think... I don't know, like, I do think that people kind of tend to overestimate or overemphasize the cops' role in this, too, because, like, I don't know, these people haven't faced, you know, actual active resistance in their lives for the most part, and if you see a crowd of angry people coming for you and you think that your personal safety is at risk, it's not particularly surprising that you step aside. Like, it's something that you can kind of see in like how quickly the Taliban have advanced in Afghanistan, where it's like the major issue has often been kind of like the Afghan government forces just abandoning their positions, 
probably because they don't want to fucking die. Like, that doesn't, you know, have to imply collusion all the time. And I'm sure, you know, they're American cops, so they were there were a, a number of them who I'm sure were pretty sympathetic. But, like, you know, just on an individual level, like, if you are a person facing a mob that wants to kill people, sometimes you just don't want to die. Like... <laughs> Well, I think like the contrast always is is when you compare this to the Black Lives Matter rally a few months prior to this, where the police officers initiated violence force, and but they were they had larger numbers, which is the further question of why there were so few cops at that event. And the thing is, like we probably have speculations about why that is. You know, mm-hmm. uh, for for example, Trump probably didn't want there to be a ton of police there or whatever, and might have part of the decision making or. You know, maybe the cops are sympathetic, didn't think that they were going to be the targets of the rage or like whatever it is. Right. But the interesting thing is like this is why you should have a commission or an investigation. Right. Yeah. And it seems like the whole point of this is to say that there's something wrong with the 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 whole fact of having an investigation. But then Ezra wants to come in hard with the conspiracy thinking and be like the police stepped down to create a media spectacle in order to then demonize the Trumps. So somehow the police uh, let them in to set up the crowd in order to make Trump look bad. That it was like an inside job kind of thing. And they're trying to do this in order to say that the investigation is not legitimate because it's the Democrats who are working with the police to set up the Trump people. It's all just fucking annoying theater. Yeah. And it just, it implies a level of like overwhelming control over large groups of people and a lot of moving parts that just isn't possible. Like, you think... That wouldn't have come out by now if, like, cops had been given orders to do things for some, like, almost QAnon-esque conspiracy. Think about it at this level. Do you think any of the Democrats would have planned this to let in an angry mob to, by, like, a hair's breath, almost kill some of them? <laughs> like, what, what would have been the point? To take away our rights and freedoms. Because I don't think Nancy Pelosi would be like, you know what? I want this mob to come in. I want them to find me. I want them to kill me. Because they got into her office and they sh- I think one of them took a shit in the corner. They exposed her, like, uh, co-workers' laptops and stuff like this. Like, they did nasty things in her office and probably would have harmed her if they got their hands on her. Why would she be the one who would, like, orchestrate this and somehow, like, let the cops stand down? We need a spectacle. Like, if anything, you would plan this in a way such that you're not going to become uh, in the pathway of the violent mob that you're, like, conspiratorially manipulating, you know? Yeah. Just the whole thing doesn't make any sense. Just any implication of that level of manipulation is just so... <laughs> it's so stupid. Um, I don't like any violence against property. I don't like smashing windows. I don't like trespass. Do you think what happened on January 6th rises to the level of a riot? I'm not sure what to call it because with the fullness of time, the only person who was killed was a protester. The place wasn't ransacked. And and for some reason, the government won't release thousands of hours of closed-circuit TV footage. I'm not sure exactly what went on, and I don't know if we'll find out. I don't like any violence against property. People died, Ezra. 
People died. The best part, too, is, like, you're going to quibble over the word riot? Like, who, who the f- call it a riot? Don't call it a riot. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's, again, like, back to the racism issue is, like, you know, they, they wanted to declare everything that BLM did a violent riot. And it's, you know, it's a racialized thing. It's a, like, oh, riots are only for those others, not for people like me. Ezra then wants to say that there's footage that's not released. I have no clue what he's talking about. But again, if there's footage that needs to be released and it's not being released, maybe that's why you should have an investigation. I don't know. Just spitballing here. But since we're talking about racism and Black Lives Matter, who does Ezra get on? Ben Weingarten, who wrote American Ingrate, which was a conspiracy book that tried to claim that Ilhan Omar married her brother. Again, that didn't happen, but this is who Ezra gets on to talk about what happened on January 6th and to talk about the January 6th commission. And uh, it it's not good. <laughs> ben Weingarten begins by saying that uh, Chris Ray, who's the head of the FBI, I think, uh, is claiming what happened on January 6th is an act of terrorism. And he says it in a way to make this like, like if you think calling it a riot is ridiculous, this guy's calling it terrorism. Oh my God. Yeah, well, don't take my word for it, but the administration itself via FBI Director Christopher Wray hasn't just classified what transpired as a riot. Christopher Wray testified that it constituted an act of domestic terrorism. That puts it on a different plane even from a riot. And of course, the broader narrative is that it was a murderous armed insurrection and the republic hung in the balance. And that is belied by everything that we know Ben then makes the claim that no one was armed and that everyone uh, condemns the few moments where violence happened. The notion that it was armed, well, there is evidence that people had all manner of instruments that could have been used to injure people. And it does appear, based upon footage and testimony and court documents, that there were protesters who engaged in deplorable acts, bludgeoning people with poles and posts, destroying property, as you noted, crushing people into doorways, etc., Behavior that everyone condemns and has condemned from the moment all of this transpired. Uh, But no one in charges, at least, has been charged with having a firearm while in the Capitol. Again, the FBI director says he can think of at least one person who did, but we haven't seen evidence of it. As you noted, thousands of hours of tape have not been released. So we have no way to really assess the claims. I don't know that anyone is condemning the few moments where violence happened, but also uh, depends on what you mean by armed. Like, tasers were there, bear mace, all the things that I mentioned. There was people who had weapons that had them confiscated before they arrived at the Capitol because they were pulled over by police officers and had their guns confiscated. There was also the uh, incidents of a bomb being left at both the DNC and the RNC. Uh, Again, we don't know who planted the bomb, and that person is still not in custody yet. Or even we have any knowledge about them whatsoever. But there were bombs that were left that day there were people with like disassembled guns in their bags and stuff too weren't there and there was other tactical gear but no one was armed don't even uh don't investigate it and again uh, so then ben buys into this footage claim and uh he said they won't release the footage so there's no way that we can assess any other claims and i've never heard of this footage thing like there's so much footage of that event i remember sitting at my computer the day this was happening and watching all the live streams and seeing all this shit unfold So I have no fucking clue what he's talking about. There was so much footage released from that day. And all of it made them look really bad. 
There's like 20k in the chat. Let's go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, the one guy I was watching was just realized that 20,000 people were watching his stream as he was breaking into the Capitol building and then did one of those like, hit the like button, smash that subscribe, 20,000 in the chat, let's go! <laughs> and it was very surreal. I didn't, like, you know, the insurrection will be live streamed, you know? Ezra then uh, points to the what he refers to as the silly looking people. This is the guy who was dressed as a Viking of some sort. The QAnon shaman. Yes. And he's standing in the Senate uh, auditorium with a few cops hanging around. And they don't seem too uh, distressed with what's going on. And so Ezra's painting this picture of like how silly it is. And the police officer was kind of like, uh, all right, are you done? Can you can you leave now? Like, <laughs> and it's this one old police officer, dude. And it, it seems to me like Ezra's like, well, if he was really distressed, he should have like take out his gun Rambo style and just start mowing down these people or something. And it's like you want one elderly police officer to take on a mob. Okay. That's the thing, too, is like if the cops had like gunned down any of these people there would be an ongoing civil war right now well they killed ashley babbitt but like they're trying to turn her into a martyr she was the one person who was shot and killed by police that day and she's now being turned into this innocent martyr even though like she was trying to commit an insurrection against the government i would prefer that she didn't get shot it would have been nicer but like you know i'm surprised I'm surprised at the amount of restraint. With the amount of police shootings that there have been over the years, I'm surprised in this entire event only one police officer got spooked and shot. It's not the first time that people sort of broke in and had a noisy kerfuffle. I mean, the appointment of various Trump Supreme Court justices and their nomination hearings, they were quite rowdy. Take a look at this. These are live images, folks, at the doors of the Supreme Court, where you can see protesters have gathered. They are demanding that their voices be heard as they anticipate who will, what, who, the person who will be a new Supreme Court justice, Judge Brett Kavanaugh, be sworn in here any moment. In a bigger picture, you can see approximately how many people who have gathered there. It looks like there are dozens, and they are chanting. Kavanaugh has got to go, is what I'm hearing them say. You see, there is high security there. I'm not sure if I would call that a riot. Uh, I certainly wouldn't call it an insurrection. I don't think I would uh, call it terrorism. Look, Ben, I'm not e excusing the law-breaking that was done, but I think to, to call it a terrorism act and to hold some of these meanderers in solitary confinement now for six months that seems like this whole thing's a bit of a stitch up. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe they really are terrorists, but it seems like the punishment does not fit the crime. As it compares the riots on January 6th to the protesters uh, chanting during the confirmation hearings of Brett Kavanaugh. And, uh, what? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> what well, don't mean? you see? They're a crowd that was mad at the government and entered the Capitol building. Even though, here's the difference, like, that was a time when 
the Democrats allowed these people in and they were there to protest. They didn't have any guns, didn't smash any windows to get in and were pretty nonviolent. They were a bunch of women mad that a rapist was being appointed to the Supreme Court, you know. But Ezra does admit that the people chanting were not terrorists, okay? So the people who were mad at Kavanaugh, definitely not terrorists. But then he goes, but to call the meanders on January 6th terrorists, that's a bit of a stretch. Again, racialized language, right? Like, Yeah, and I, you know, let's, let's be real about what some of these people on January 6th were wearing, which... Uh, I think some of them were wearing shirts that said six million is not enough and had like Camp Auschwitz on the back of their shirt. Mm -hmm. So these are the types of people that stormed the Capitol, waving the Confederate flag, you know? These were racists. They were insurrectionists, you know? If you wanted to even call them terrorists, call them terrorists. Like, the fact of like quibbling about these names is so silly to me, other than, as you pointed out, it's racially loaded language. And so, therefore, it's like only Muslims can be terrorists. These white people are just patriotic Americans standing up for their rights, you know? Standing up for their rights to be complete racist shitheads. The thing is, yeah, they are. Like, they they are representative of the American project. Like, and that's kind of the issue. The issue is the American project, right? Like... Ben then wants to garner sympathy for the people who've currently been arrested for what they did on January 6th. Well, they're certainly being treated as if they are terrorists. In some cases, several dozen people being held in a specific jail in Washington, D.C., and there's substantial reporting to suggest, well, there's allegations that guards are beating people, individuals are being held in solitary confinement for over 20 hours a day, many without bail. Many of these people have no criminal records. Uh, they're not hardened terrorists like those that would be held in Guantanamo Bay. And from everything that's been reported, it seems like their conditions are significantly worse than the conditions at Gitmo. And certainly the media treatment and uh, kind of the, the elite treatment of these individuals uh, pales in comparison to the way actual jihadists have been treated. They really don't know why Guantanamo Bay exists. Like... The reason that they ha- that the U.S. holds secret prisons overseas, whether that is like Abu Ghraib or Guantanamo, is because American law doesn't allow them to torture people on American soil. Like, that's why they have these sites overseas, is because then they're a lot more free from the American judicial system then they can like rightfully claim that it is a military place and so it is ruled by military law there's a reason that they're fucking overseas and not on american on directly american soil or however you want to like frame it so no actually they're not like yeah i mean like you know i would say that being held in a facility without any due process and being tortured, uh, even though most of them are either innocent or are were enemy combatants in a war and not terrorists, uh, these people are treated way more nicer than the people who receive due process and are getting light sentences handed down to them for forming a white supremacist mob to overtake the American government. These things are, like, they're totally identical, right? 
or actually one is worse than the other and it's the people who are receiving the due process you know makes total sense ben you're, you're nailing it ben then of course wants to compare this to black lives matter so like there was only a million dollars of damage to the capitol building apparently and this is uh he's like compare that to the two million of cumulative damage caused by uh, black lives matter riots over the past year Sorry, what you wrote here doesn't say million. It says two, two billion. billion. Oh, is that true? No, billion. Oh, well, that's what he claims. I don't really care to fact check it, to be honest. <laughs> and to your point, the double standard appears to be staggering. If you look at the damage that the government has assessed associated with January 6th, for example, they put it at about a million and a half dollars in damage. The estimates are one to two billion dollars in damage during last summer's riots cumulatively in America. There were hundreds of events where there was violence in America last summer. Arson, obviously obstructing traffic, masses of assaults, murders. I I don't know. Like, maybe that's possible. Maybe they're taking it to costs having to do with the number of police that were, like, sent in. I, like, I don't know. Uh, To be honest, I think the whole, like, why are you making this comparison in the first place? It's almost absurd. So it's like... Like to even fact check it doesn't make sense to me but like it's probably no. wrong <laughs> no like i don't really give a shit about fact checking but also just like do they know how much money two billion dollars is it's a big number i don't know about that yeah <laughs> no ben ben is terrible yeah i mean because then he wants to talk about the black lives matter murders I-, I can't remember if ben was the last one to bring this up on the show before as well but th- they keep making this claim that people were murdered during the black lives matter uh protests and I, I can never find any evidence for this being the case. The only time, like, so there's one case in particular, which was the one dude in Portland uh, who was then gunned down by the police in an act of judicial murder by the police, which is itself worrying. And and we should all look into that. The other person was like Kyle Rittenhouse, who was yeah. a person who murdered protesters. No, there were a number of like fascists and white supremacists murders of blm protesters like that was a widespread phenomenon the only other murder like one i was given evidence by someone who was making a similar argument to me were like what about this murder and i think it was in atlanta one of the protests there was a domestic violence situation where somebody was murdered and it's like what does that have to do with black lives matter that like (laughs) you know it's terrible that there was this domestic violence situation and someone was shot and killed but that doesn't mean that that had anything to do with Black Lives Matter, like murdering people. It's like absurd the lengths they go to paint Black Lives Matter as evil. Yeah. Ben then says that the left thinks they are not comparable because during January 6th, democracy hung in the balance. It, they're incomparable in terms of the size, scope, and nature of the events on their face when you look at the raw data. And basically the the argument has been made on the left that it's not a double standard, you just can't compare these events because on the one hand, democracy hung in the balance and these people were contesting an election and threatening to throw the republic into chaos. And I don't think that passes muster. I agree some of the, like, the jingoism done by like liberals online about like how, oh my God, like democracy was almost destroyed this day. Like, yes, it's a bit over the top, okay? But then it's like, they are not comparable because one was a white supremacist mob. The other was fighting for racial justice. Like two of these things are different, you know? (laughs) You don't have to go as far as the liberals and like uh, clutch your American flag and cry about democracy to realize that these things are not the same, you know? Yeah. 
And of course, they fearmonger that the war on terrorism is now going to be turned on the American citizens. This is the thing that they like keep on like talking about now with big tech and all this shit. DOJ officials up to the attorney general have said that essentially this is their top priority and it's going to be the most complex and deep investigation among the most complex and deep investigations in the history of the republic. And it's clear that it is being elevated to the kind of thing that is going to lead to something like the global war on terror powers being turned on American citizens. It already was. <laughs> no, like, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but of course now it's like white citizens right so that's that's the issue <sighs> and ben is mad that biden administration has changed some of the wording around countering extremists because it focuses now on white supremacists and doesn't mention anything about violent jihadists and the biden administration as i've covered at great length has codified that in their first of its kind national strategy on countering domestic terror which isn't targeting jihadists in fact they're barely even mentioned in the entire document it's targeting so-called anti-government individuals, as well as what it casts as a racial supremacist, ethnic supremacist, violent extremists, uh, of course, and the, the examples they cite, they try to argue are examples of right-wing violent extremism. And again, uh, just c- compare the amount of like consistent violence of white supremacists and violent jihadists, and they don't line up in America or around the world, but it's the, it's the same talking points. Why are we mad at white people and not the Muslims? Again, I will remind you that uh, Ezra is one of the biggest purveyors of Islamophobia in this country. So, of course, all his guests, including a a guy who wrote a book criticizing one of the only Muslim members of the Congress right now. So Ben then calls the January 6th commission a show trial. (laughs) But it's very clear when they're going out and censoring people, working with big tech to try to censor people. And as you noted, treating these people like they are hardened terrorists. Uh, that how the government feels about those who hold views that don't comport with uh, the establishment's agenda. And it ought to be very chilling for the country. And it's one of the reasons why I think, well, this is a show trial, clearly what we're seeing with a select committee. And it's aimed at smearing tens of millions of people. And of course, it's aimed at the midterm elections as well and beyond. The broader issue is that the narrative of a January 6th being a murderous armed insurrection has in many respects collapsed based on the information that we do have. Yet being built on that foundation is an entire, I would argue, war on wrong think. And I've argued that at great length in a number of pieces. And part of me is like, aren't all congressional hearing show trials? Like, didn't the conservatives go on and on about Benghazi when fucking uh, uh, Barack Obama was president? Like that was they had trial uh, like commission after commission on Benghazi because it's a show to rile up your base. Okay, so who cares that? Yes. The Democrats are using this to pump up their base, to be like, look at these evil Republicans. And yeah, they're evil, so have have a show. Make a show of it. There's also the difference between a show trial where, you know, it is fake, which is what a show trial is, is like, oh, you present bullshit evidence and you just make it fit and then you sentence the person guilty because they were already decided to be guilty versus like using the judicial system as a spectacle. God, I want I want these people to read Guide Aboard. That'd be very funny. But also, like, we have to note here, like, congressional hearings do have some, like, subpoena powers and other stuff like this. But it's also not really a trial either, you know? It's, yeah. It's more of, like, an investigatory body that has some legal powers, you know? And Ezra then wants to go on about how the FBI has only now discredited itself. <laughs> Took him a while. <laughs> 
And it's only because of the way they spied on Donald Trump and how they spied on Tucker Carlson. Okay. Um, I, the FBI, I think, has disgraced themselves during the Trump administration. They've revealed themselves to be not only highly partisan, but even have engaged in some lawbreaking. There have been some guilty pleas to that effect. The way they misused the spying court to, uh, well, heck, to this day, they're spying on Tucker Carlson. And if you're not familiar with the spying of Tucker Carlson, you could check our, our friends over on the Tuckered Out podcast. But like to fill in the brief little moment, uh, Tucker Carlson apparently was trying to get an interview with Vladimir Putin. And because of that, whoever he was in contact with, the government somehow, uh, or not somehow, because this person was, you know, uh, a person of interest to the FBI and in a foreign country, the FBI had access to some of T Tucker Carlson's correspondence with this person. And so Tucker Carlson lost his mind about it and said the FBI was spying on him. So, but, but that is when the FBI discredited itself, you know, not the harassment of Martin Luther King, not, <laughs> not, not, uh, the harassment of, uh, uh, Ralph Nader or any other activist who's done a, a significant amount of work. It was the spying on Trump and Tucker Carlson. Yep, just then. But they're good now, because that's over also. But Ezra did not feel like Ben did a sufficient job in talking about Guantanamo Bay, so he wants to bring it back, and he wants to uh, acknowledge that the prisoners of Guantanamo Bay get to play video games and eat halal meals. I'm worried about it. Last point on Gitmo, I've seen how the Guantanamo Bay um, detainees are treated. They're not actually treated like a prison. They're just in a holding uh Center. They're allowed sports and video games and halal meals and and specialty items and and it these grandmas and you know Viking Chewbacca uh, you know types I, I I think they actually be treated far worse than terrorists. They were also abducted from their homelands and tortured for a solid decade. And are now likely in prison for life so that the U.S. can keep Gitmo open. They don't go into any detail about how these people are being treated. It's just, oh, the poor prisoners, they're being treated so poor. So do you know, you know, the, the Viking dude that uh, Ezra likes to be like, look how silly the, they were meandering in their Viking costumes. Yeah. So that dude, his name is Jacob Chansley. Okay. When he was first arrested, shortly after what happened on January 6th, he made a complaint that he was not being given organic food while he was at prison. Now, a lot of shit libs on Twitter were like, ha ha, screw you, Jacob Chansley, you don't deserve organic food. I'm more of a prison abolitionist, and I'm like, give Jacob his fucking organic food. I don't care. Like, sure, he did shitty things, but he should be treated like a human being. And the American prison system for how shitty it is in every other circumstance, moved Jacob to a prison in which he could eat organic food. Which, how is that any different than going, oh, these people that we're holding uh, against their will without due process, we're going to give them a few halal meals? That's, that is like somehow getting like the, a better treatment than Jacob Chansley who was able to go to a different prison to get organic food? Like this whole fucking thing is so... Stupid. Like, especially as a comparison set. It would be one thing if you go, there's general criticisms of the American prison system or whatever. But these people are being treated with kids' gloves. 
compared to other prisoners. Yeah, and, like, compared to other prisoners in the U.S. itself, still, too. Like, like the reports coming out of, like, so many of the different, like, American prisons about conditions during COVID and during, like, lockdowns and everything, or, like, whenever a storm comes through and they're, like, left chained in their rooms or chained to their beds as, like, the cells flood type of thing. But they're apparently playing video games in Guantanamo, so... Yeah. I, I hate this shit. No, it's it was, like, uh... It was a full racist hour. It was fucking brutal. Remember when we first started recording and I was in like a kind of good mood and like was just like joking along and having fun and like blah, blah, blah. And it's like at this point, like I fucking hate these people so much. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't have anything else to say. Like, no, it's like an onslaught of like racism, 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 Islamophobia, racism. But we are almost done, okay? But Ezra, he wants to he wants to bring it back to the conspiracy theorizing he had. He wants to bring Ben into the conspiracy conversation. Help me out here. Do you think it's credible to say that security was stood down deliberately to create a Reichstag fire type moment, an excuse like Hitler had when the Reichstag was burned? Oh, this is proof that I must destroy the enemies of our state. Do you think that there is any credence to the speculation that this is what the left wanted? They're certainly capitalizing on it now. Do you think that the police stood down so that this might happen? This is just like when Hitler uh, and the Nazis burned the Reichstag and then blamed it on the communists. I don't know if, if the Nazis were the ones who ended up actually burning the Reichstag. There's a complicated history there. I won't get into it. But either way, they used it as a political tool to to blame on their enemies. That is true. Ben then says, again, that the left used it as an accelerant. So I guess, like, there's... If if you want to make a smidgen of, like, an analogy, people are political opportunists. So just like uh, the Bush administration used September 11th to go to war with Iraq, maybe the Democrats are using January 6th to get electoral gains in the future. But hey, these things are different, right? (laughs) Like, maybe there's a good reason not to vote for Republicans because a large portion of their base is complicit in wanting to overthrow the government because an election didn't go their way. Whereas, I don't know, Nazis are bad and going to war in Iraq over something that had nothing to do with Iraq is bad, you know. But it's accelerationism. Accelerating towards what? Towards Joe Biden. Uh, communism achieved. Yeah, Bidenist accelerationism. <laughs> Honestly, centrist accelerationism would be the funniest ideology. I want things to get worse because they'll lead to Joe Biden. <laughs> uh, see, some joy could come out of this. <laughs> Oh my god. Ben says it's hard to explain the lack of police presence if it, other than their conspiracy theories. So now he's basically saying, well, like, there's no other explanation, so therefore it has to be a conspiracy theory. It can't be that Trump directed a white supremacist mob on the Capitol, so therefore it has to be a conspiracy theory. Great logic. 
And then Ben says that the commission is being run by Nancy Pelosi, so we'll never get any answers. And, and it's unimaginable to me that if there was an assault on the Capitol by jihadist terrorists, that there wouldn't have been a massive rush to defend that building. It, it's incomprehensible if you consider the size, scope, scale, firepower, technology that we have in our federal government, that they wouldn't have adequately defended the capital of the United States. And the people who rushed the Capitol in this case had weapons that were in often cases, you know, items around the home. They didn't have incendiary devices. They didn't have Molotov cocktails like we saw in riots around the country. There weren't fires that were being set everywhere. So how do you explain that you're talking about some of the most sacred buildings in the land and with the billions of dollars that we spend on security that this could have transpired? It, it, it really strains credulity. It's hard to explain. Nancy Pelosi ought to be one person questioned about that. And of course, she's refused to. She's controlling a trial and will never get answers, in my view, on those types of questions from her, certainly. Yeah. Well, Ben Weingarten, great to see you again. Let me just say again, I do not believe in trespass or vandalism or mischief or any violence, whether it's light or heavy. But you have to be blind not to see how this is weaponized and how they're trying to create an emotional narrative of terrorism. Well, it's like <laughs> it's amazing, like how they're weaponizing all this shit and how they weaponize the Black Lives Matter protests and how they weaponize all this stuff. And you, you have one commission, one fucking weak ass liberal commission, and it's like it's being weaponized. They're weaponizing things. I do kind of want to know what QAnon thinks about all this. Because, like, I haven't heard from them lately. I think they're going through some factional issues. We're, oh, we're going to sure. have to wait till the, the Reformation is over and see what, what remains, <laughs> you know. God. Ezra ends this whole thing, the entire thing, by referring to what happened on January 6th as... Their inquiry into the events of January 6th, which is the great meandering when people broke into the Capitol building and then just sort of wandered around and put their feet up on desks. The great meandering. <laughs> That's what they're going to put in the history textbooks. Yes. Uh, well, at the very least, I think it's going to be the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> sure. The struggle against Enbridge Line 3, uh, the tar sands oil pipeline heading down... I know it's through Minnesota, and that's like where the main base of struggle is right now. I don't really know where it's going after, because, you know, starting in Alberta and the tar sands and heading south, uh, and the struggle against that is really picking up. So I'm just going to post the, like, stop line three take action link. Um, if you're American, there's a bunch of, like, oh, you can contact the Army Corps of Engineers, but they're real dickheads, so I don't know what they'll do. Because they're, like, they're one of the main, like, reasons that a lot of, like, indigenous lands have been further stolen um, in, like, the 20th century. So 
we'll see. Uh, there's also a Write Biden link. Sure, why not? Uh, but you can also donate directly to the front lines from uh, the website here as well. And there's like a bunch of fact sheets and um, info stuff about it and things about like divesting and organizing for organizing like a protest or whatever else as like things that you could do. If you got some funds, send it their way. If you are in any way along the line three uh, pipeline, you know, planned construction route, um, go join those protests, go stop yet another horrific pipeline going over a bunch of like indigenous land and also you know fresh water sources and everything like that as well fuck any and all pipelines like just get rid of them and then for the article for this week viewpoint magazine had an article that they released in 2020 called party as articulator it's a it's an attempt to like build a like concept of a socialist party for i guess the 21st century type of thing basically like drawing on the idea that the party's role is not to kind of control social movements or to like you know have their sort of like cynical entryism into into social move- movements where like party members kind of like go into the social movements are like oh you know what the solution is join the party type of bullshit but instead is to kind of like act as a focal point around which different social movements can interact and learn from one another basically and it goes like into a decent amount of like depth with it it's a really like good read on like i guess the possibilities of more actually uh, grassroots and organized from below type party activism and i think it's kind of relevant given like we talked to or Jody interviewed uh, Dirk Prout, our local NDP candidate, today. So it's just kind of like a, I think it's a discussion that needs to be had in sort of left-leaning circles, is like how how to sort of approach things, like as we have these sort of like ongoing protest movements and everything like that, and how to, how best for like socialist movements to engage with that sort of stuff without it becoming again that sort of like shitty and just like oh this will die eventually and you know we'll just use it as an opportunity to grow our membership and that's kind of it but instead to kind of like use it as a you know to act as a sort of like focal point of like okay yeah like you know we will participate in these social struggles and also then like remember and learn from them and be able to kind of like i don't know act as almost like a a social history organization as well yeah just it's a good read it's not too long but it is like a bit of a read compared to sometimes when i short share some shorter articles so i'm just going to share the one this week yeah give it a read it'll be in the description of the episode yeah, as you were explaining that, I was like, that a lot of that does sound like uh, some of the moments when I chatted with Durka. Uh, yeah, no, that that was literally like what made me think of this article <laughs> was like, oh yeah, because I was struggling to like come up with something, because like I don't want to go like too de- in depth with like, you know, niche Marxist shit. So it was kind of like <laughs> struggling to think of something that wasn't just like super niche and like, okay, nobody who listens to our podcast is gonna like have the prerequisite knowledge to. 
<laughs> go on yeah, to yeah. these sort of things. So it's a really good article. I, I loved it a lot when it first came out um, because it came out after the George Floyd protests were kind of dying down and was obviously like an effort to kind of figure things out and figure out like next steps type of thing. Um, and it also was like after Bernie lost the primary nomination. So it was when yeah, yeah. the DSA was kind of like trying to figure out its own next steps as well. And I also want to thank uh, Durka Prout for uh, coming on and talking to us. I thought she was uh, very open and honest and like uh, fun to chat with. I, I recommend, you know, uh, anyone who listens who is in the London area or if you know anyone in the London area and you uh, maybe are on the side of wanting to convince them to vote for the NDP, uh, send them this video. I think they uh, like Durka, you know? So uh, if, if that's something that you want to do, I think by the time this video or this podcast goes up, the video will be posted to YouTube. So, yeah, it, it should be a good resource, I think, to get to see Durka just casually chat and answer some questions. So, And with that, if you like support and enjoy what you've heard so far please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com imperial news if you want to stay informed about what we're doing you can also find us on twitter at imperial news with a z we have a private facebook group called imperial news we also have a discord set up and we'll be doing twitch streams every monday wednesday and friday at 8 p.m eastern standard time you can find all the links to our social media stuff in the show notes lastly you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatom.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And any and all meandering from here on out canceled. <laughs> we don't need True. another meandering insurrection, all right? So you canceled, no meandering. Get that word out of the dictionary. It wasn't, you know what? We're, we're going back in time. It never was in the dictionary. Word's gone doesn't exist anymore true albumbia albumbia how lovely are your wheat fields